Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I am live with a completely unnecessary podcast with me only. No Ian. So it's a podcast for Wednesday. October 22nd, 2014. Yes, Ian is on his honeymoon, so I decided I would do a solo CU podcast by myself. It'll be a limited engagement. It won't be too much going on. But what's going to be discussed on the show today? We'll be talking about Iron Man appearing in Captain America 3. Warner Brothers releasing their DC movie lineup lineup up to 2020. The all-female Ghostbusters 3 reboot announced. And the Avengers Age of Ultron trailer? Just just released. It was just leaked as I was basically starting this podcast. Wow, it's a, it's almost like an entirely superhero and movie lineup. Plus your Q&A. So what's been going on in my world? <clears throat> well, I just got back from uh, Portland. The Retro Gaming Expo was this past weekend. It was my fourth one. I had tons and tons of fun. Um, I, I roomed with Brent Black who I actually just uh, interviewed, almost like an inside the YouTube studio thing. We talked for about an hour, and that'll be a separate special podcast that'll also be up on iTunes. But uh, yeah, I had my uh, Pat the NES Punk panel, Play the Punk Challenge. Then I had the Retro Game Roadshow with Frank Cifaldi and Steve Lynn, where, where we looked at and, and assessed uh, rare gaming merchandise. And it, it's just exhausting. Going to these events, you think it, it's uh, you know just fun, and, and, and a lot of it is fun. But it just drains you. Besides the, just the travel alone, which can take a little bit out of you. Thankfully, this is the same time zone, so it wasn't that bad. But it's the prep. It's, uh, you know, you you have to do stuff for your panel. At least I do. I, I put out a, usually a new video at all my panels. Because I want to give the fans something besides just a QA. and a I want to entertain them. So the night before, I was up till like 3 in the morning, not just uh, packing, but finishing a new Flea Market Madness episode, which is now out. Uh, volume 21, and then, you know, uh, I'm selling DVDs, you gotta pack that stuff, I'm selling some of the extra games, you gotta price those while you're there, and then uh, make sure you you don't pack too much, I, I was bringing two suitcases, because that's free with Southwest, two suitcases, but then I was seven pounds over at the airport, so I'm scrambling to, to put my jeans and t-shirts in my laptop bag, and it, it just goes on and on, it's just the, the process itself is just exhausting, you gotta go to your booth, you gotta sit up your booth, you know, um, it, it's just a lot. And then, even though it's really fun uh, meeting and talking to all all the fans you meet, it's just it's just tiring to uh, have to constantly introduce yourself uh, to people over and over again. Who are again, everyone's very nice, and then talk to them, and then you know you're you're signing stuff, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just it's a, it's a lot of work for one person. It's like it's like you have assistants helping you out, you know, uh, <laughs> in these exchanges. Uh, but no, it was it was fun. And then again, I room with uh, Brent. Brent's a really, really uh, great guy. Check him out if you if you haven't heard of him. You probably have. Uh, he's Brentel Brentel Floss, you know, like dental floss, but Brentel Floss on on YouTube. Um, so yeah, Ian's wedding came and gone. That was fun. I'm not going to give away too many details from that. You probably wouldn't want me to. But now he's on his honeymoon. 
Uh, so he'll be back probably next week. We'll probably do another short podcast next week. And then a week and a half after that will already be the fifth annual NES Marathon benefiting the Children's Miracle Network. We are accepting donations. Uh, the event's November 8th and 9th at nesmarathon.com. Go there for more information. And you can go there to watch it when it occurs. And uh, still looking for sponsors as well for that. And I'm also working on getting my ass to write a Halloween episode and actually have it released before Halloween. I know it's usually like November 1st through 8th I release an episode. But uh, the, the fact of the matter is usually the, the marathons before Halloween by a couple of weeks, I'm usually too exhausted to even work on a video. But now with it sw- switched with uh, the event happening, happening after it, Halloween, I have a chance to at least do that. So I think I'm going to do that. I have a decent idea. Decent at least for me. Other people might think it's garbage. I don't know. I don't know. So what's going on? There's a lot of superhero movie news happening. How about Iron Man going to be not just appearing in Captain America 3, but co-starring? So so basically, what the big rumor was, was that a few months ago, I, I believe, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Um, said that he there would be no Iron Man 4, so leading people to speculate that he was basically done with with the movies, besides, I guess, he, was, he signed on for Avengers 2 and 3. Uh, but then it was just uh, revealed that uh, he's going to be basically co-starring in Captain America 3. Um, now, Captain America 2 Winter Soldier, I always go on about how excellent it was, and, and it was. And so, I guess they're sort of following it with sort of it being the, uh, how Captain America 2 sort of at least helped define the future of, well, the S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show. Uh, but also, I think Captain America 3 is going to help define the future of the the Marvel co- uh, Comics film uh, continuity, or, or the Marvel, you know, comics film universe, is that what it's called? Um, so, the Civil War storyline is rumored to be he- going to be what's going to be featured, and if you know what the Civil War uh, storyline was, I think it was around 2007 or eight, and I only bought a couple of the comics, I didn't like it, so, a lot of people didn't, but basically what it was, was a Civil War between the superheroes, half the superheroes uh, on Robert Downey Jr.'s, Robert Downey Jr., half the superheroes on Iron Man's side wanted the uh, superheroes to be registered with the government to track them all after uh, and uh, after a supervillain takes out like a school full of kids during a battle with superheroes and villains. And so on the other side, you have uh, Captain America, who does not want these superheroes to be registered, uh, seeing that it's an encroachment of, uh, of human rights and freedom. So then you have the, the whole sides face off. You have heroes getting killed, villains killed, and Captain America ends up getting shot to death like a punk um, without going out in a heroic way, which is why I will never personally buy a new Marvel Comics comic book again, because he's one of my favorite superheroes, and that was just a stupid freaking uh, way for them to kill off Captain America. Yes, you know they're going to bring him back, but it was still very, very stupid, and uh, I, I didn't just agree with it at all. If you're gonna kill, if you're gonna kill a big superhero, have him go out in a blaze of glory, not like you know, oh this guy killed, you know, he, this guy fended off the Red Skull and the Nazis in Hydra for like 80 years, and, and now you know he just gets shot in the gut and he's dead. Well, that's fantastic, just just massive disrespect. So a, a film version of this might be interesting. Obviously, it's gonna be it'll be cut down. It would be cut down to really probably just you know one or two heroes on each side. Probably in a movie like this, you have, you have Iron Man versus. Captain America. But I think it's interesting what the Captain America movies are becoming. Because after the second one, the second one was great because it wasn't just great action, but it was sort of a, a timely story and it had, uh, you know, political machinations to it and, and, and social messages about 
uh, the government spying on you, like the NSA being huge in the news when it's revealed that the NSA is collecting all our phone records, uh, who we call, without search warrants, and that is happening, and they are, you know, they're pressuring uh, to get all the information about us from like Comcast and you know and all the uh, Google and all the all the uh, internet service providers and it's it's scary stuff. I'm scared by by it. So um, so Captain America Winter Soldier actually incorporated that to the storyline and and the, and the screenwriters didn't even know that was happening at the time. So it was like wow, all this news is coming out with Edward Snowden and, and things and they're like this is very timely. So I think what's going to happen is that's going to happen with Captain America three where it's going to be you know talking about probably should we register you know these these weapons and should people know about them and maybe that'll be something maybe maybe it'll be a gun control sort of message thrown into that or, or at least uh security it's always security versus safe uh versus personal uh freedom security and safety versus personal freedom maybe that's what uh really the gist of the social message social social message bes- uh, behind Captain America 3 will be so i think it'll be interesting um, as as long as they don't, as long as they incorporate really the real established movie personalities of the superheroes and not go off on a tangent or reinvent them to fit the story, because that's what a lot of the criticism was for the Civil War comic book storyline was that they had characters acting way differently than they did before. The most notable notable being uh, Tony Stark, who's Iron Man, acting like a total dick. And going way against the grain of what he normally acted like, and then Reed Richards, Mister Fantastic, who also headed up the same group with uh, Iron Man as being pro superhero registration or pro government, and so a lot of people didn't like that. It sort of was a betrayal they thought of the characters, and besides doing stupid shit like uh, the, the very last straw, besides you know, even before the Captain America death, when they had uh, Spider Man come out on the government side and have him reveal his identity. Um, to the world, as since that's part of the registration, you had to reveal your identity, and that's something that Spider-Man would never ever do. Now, now I know you can say, well, he did it in the comics, so he did it, but no. Talk about the spear of the character going back to the '60s. Spider-Man always was so afraid of having his his personal life get intertwined with his uh, his superhero stuff. He was always afraid of that, especially after the death of, of Gwen Stacy, in particular. He would never ever do. That because that would immediately put all his friends at risk, and especially it put his wife at risk. Uh, you know, Mary Mary Jane. Um, so I, I I mean, it it doesn't make any sense for him to do that. And then it, it, they even, of course, a few years later, they had a whole Mephisto thing, and that they retconned that, so the public didn't remember who he was, and just a bunch of bullshit, just just lazy, stupid writing. So. My hope, though, is that this will be a pared-down version of that storyline. They're not going to kill off Captain America, most likely. Then again, who knows if uh, if they want to do the character after that. I don't know what's going on. Um, but, no, it'll be interesting. It'll be very interesting that they're not just doing, like... Uh, I think I think they learned their lesson in Marvel Studios after, after Iron Man 2, which was a total just snooze fest of forgettable nothingness that didn't have anything meaningful to say... And didn't connect any of the films really, and had subplots that went nowhere. That I think they're finally getting to the point where they realize that these standalone films could act as big events, maybe on their own. You don't have to wait till Avengers three for another crossover. You know, you're going to get it with Captain America two in uh, 2016. So um, yeah, I'm excited for this since, since obviously I love the sequel so much, 
And uh, Marvel is firing on all cylinders. And speaking of uh, Marvel films, the Avengers 2 Age of Ultron trailer was leaked. Leaked literally right before I was ready to broadcast this, or at least record this podcast. I'm not really broadcasting right now, am I? Uh, so I watched it before it gets pulled down. It's funny that even Marvel tweeted out, damn it, Hydra, after they learned that their trailer was leaked. And this is like a, you know, this is not like a semi-finished trailer with no effects. This is a finished teaser trailer. Now, this movie comes out in April, so we're, we are six, a little over six months away. So about the time usually a teaser will come out, and then you get the full trailer. You know, about eh, two and a half months or two months before you'll get the full trailer. But uh, this looks interesting. Now, the teaser doesn't give away too much, which is what a teaser teacher should do, but at least showed you what's at stake. You have Ultron, who I believe in the... Spoilers, in the movie, is going to be built not by Hank Pym, like he was in the comics, but by Tony Stark, which would make sense since he makes all the Iron Man suits. So why wouldn't he make a robot? So it's it's Ultron, I guess, trying to wreak havoc, and I don't know what happens from there. Maybe try to, you know, push the... or pull the uh, Avengers apart. You know, sort of put them against each other. I don't know, uh, but check out check out the teaser uh, if you can before it's pulled down. I think it'll be probably online in a week anyway. Um, I think it was just premiere with, with the the uh, Agents of Shield show. But um, you have uh, Iron Man showing up in the Hulkbuster uh, huge suit to fight the Hulk. So obviously they have something going on there. You have some Ink stuff going on, of course, with uh, Scarlett Johansson's uh, Black Widow character. And you have some, actually, I think you have uh, Bruce Banner, some angsty stuff looking right there. Who knows what Captain America's doing? Hopefully he doesn't get shortchanged again like he did in the first Avengers film. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I like that. I really don't know a huge amount about it. Oh, and you, and you get to see Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Now, Quicksilver showed up in um, X-Men Days of Future Past as a mutant and played by a different actor because it's one of those weird-ass things where uh, Fox has the rights to all the mutant characters from Marvel, and that includes, obviously, uh, Quicksilver, who's a mutant, and Scarlet Witch. However, Marvel Studios has the rights to the Avengers, and Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch were not just mutants, but they were Avengers. So they're going to explain them as, I guess, they are quote-unquote Marvels, or they're just special. They can't say mutant in these Marvel uh, comics Excuse me, Marvel Studios films. Can you believe that? How, how ridiculous that is that they are not they can't mention mutants in uh in and Marvel owns the comics that have the mutants that they came up with, but for the films they can't they don't have the rights. Fox has the rights to mutants. So it's a weird ass thing and it's really ridiculous how they couldn't work it out going way back and basically be able to, you know, have any sort of crossover with mutants and the Marvel superheroes in these movies. I mean, how great would it be to have even one or two mutants from the uh, Fox films show up in one of these Marvel Studios films. But it's not going to happen for now. Now, the rumor is that um, Marvel Studios and 20th Century Fox uh, are trying to... Excuse me, not 20th Century Fox. Uh, Sony. Sony owns the rights to Spider-Man. They're trying to negotiate some sort of deal with Marvel Studios. So I'm not sure if that means that Sony would stop producing the films, but at the very least they'd be able to coexist in the same movie universe, which would benefit everyone. I mean, the bad thing about these Sony Amazing Spider-Man films is that they're not bad films, but they lack that sort of uh, ballsiness that the Marvel Studios films has shown. They've been too safe, too commercialized, too just, I guess, sanitary 
when you look at the movies, it's just like you know exactly the, how they're going to come out, and you know that they're going to be like this middling six or seven out of ten sort of experience, and that's what Maze Barman one and two have been. They've been just not again. They're not bad movies. The action has been has been fine. The Spider Man himself has been portrayed fine, but they're just not interesting in any other way besides just being a Sony product to me. And that's exactly how they come up me. They don't come up uh, come off as films with something to say. They're coming up as a product. So hopefully, if Marvel Marvel Studios can at least have influence with the writing, or I don't know if, if well, it'd be great if they produce them, they can get them back under that sort of you know sort of, sort of uh, Marvel uh, film uh, film studio wing. And then I think the next Spider Man movie would be great because no one wants to see the rumored Sinister Six film. That sounds absolutely horrendous. And speaking of horrendous, the Fantastic Four reboot, which is Fantastic Four is the other property that um, Sony, excuse me, Sony, that's 20th Century Fox. 20th Century Fox has the rights to Fantastic Four and, and the Mutants and the X-Men. Um, so there's going to be a new Fantastic Four film coming out next year. It's a reboot. has nothing to do with the, the other two films that they made in 2000 and what was it, 2005 and 2007? Or 2005, 2008? Nothing to do with those. Total reboot. Frank doesn't care. He's not excited. I don't know if it's going to be good or not, but with the track record, there's a good chance it won't because the other two Fantastic Four movies were were not good. The second one was average at best, and the first one was bad. So, so check out the Age of Ultron uh, trailer, teaser trailer. I think it's uh, I think it's going to be fun. I think at the very least it'll be better than the first movie because the first movie had that had that whole awkward forty minutes of let's figure out a way to get all these superheroes together, um, and so you'll have oh let's have a fight scene between. Thor and Iron Man and Captain America thrown in there, and then blah, blah, blah. And then the first 40 minutes of the Avengers is just like, oh, get on with it. It's just... And plus, it's just not an even movie. I can't really go back and watch the Avengers film and, and say, wow, this is excellent. I mean, it's fine for what it is. It's fun seeing all the superheroes in one movie uh, finally, but it's just... I don't know. Uh, I think the second movie would be better. There's, there's only I think you only can go up. It'd be hard to, to do worse than that. Speaking of heroes, we need a hero. Oh yeah. Um. So Warner Brothers, and this is the one. I, this is what I wish Ian was around for. Maybe we'll talk about it again next week. Warner Brothers has released their DC superhero movie lineup up to like 2020. So, <laughs> what's interesting about this is that, I mean, it's not pity for Warner Brothers at this point, but it's like. You're just going about it the wrong way. If you had taken the... We, we, we spoke about this before, you and I, about if you had taken the slow burn, which Marvel did, to build up, not just not just build up goodwill and faith with the fan base, with the movie audience, but find your way creatively. Find your way as a production team. Take four or five mo- good movies, or solid movies, to build to that huge... Justice League movie, uh, as like Marvel did, doing four or five movies to build to the Avengers. You had uh, Thor, Captain America, Iron Man one and two. Now I'm not a fan of Iron Man two, but it's not a bad movie. It's just not good. Uh, Incredible Hulk, which was is the forgotten one because Edward Norton's not around anymore. That was a good movie. And then you finally build. You take these films. You take you take um, four plus years, five production years, really, to build to a huge Avengers film that then did. It did freaking huge, and after that, the goodwill carried on with uh, Captain America 2, and then Thor 2, which was, I think, uh, it was okay. 
It wasn't. It wasn't. You know, it wasn't one of the stronger Marvel films, but I enjoyed watching it. And then you have, of course, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, which is them. Marvel's just saying we're going to try to do whatever we want, and hopefully it works. And if we can do this, we can do everything. And guess what? It worked. Now you're going to have Captain America three. You're going to have Ant Man next year. You're going to have a freaking Doctor Strange movie announced. A Doctor Strange movie, really? But the point is that Marvel uh, Studios can do this because. The Marvel Studios product is a good one. It makes money. It entertains. It's critically acclaimed. That Marvel Studios product is established. They had a plan, Marvel, that wasn't let's rush into this. Unfortunately, uh, Warner Brothers the past uh, six years has done nothing on the sideline while Marvel has just said we're going to smash and smash this. So, I mean, people bring up the uh, Dark Knight movies. Those are not DC movies. Those are Christopher Nolan movies utilizing the Batman character. That might sound idiotic to say, but when you look at those movies, they are not traditional Batman stories. They are these larger-than-life sort of tales with some social sort of message put in there. And they have no connection, most importantly, to these DC movies that are coming out. None. They recast uh, Batman as Ben Affleck. Uh, the, the storyline-wise, will have nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with those three huge films. So those were not, to me, DC movies because of that. And then you have, like, the Green Lantern film that everyone forgets about because it was totally forgettable. So that has nothing, again, to do with this. Let alone the Jonah... was it? The Jonah Hex movie that bombed? What was it? The only other DC movie that's come out in six years? You had two Christopher Nolan Dark Knight movies... You had uh, Jonah Hex and Green Lantern. That's it. That's it. Now, Warner Brothers is doing great. They're doing great when it comes to TV. Smallville was critically acclaimed. It was on for 10 years. You have the, the Green Arrow shows going into, what, its third season? That's supposed to be pretty good. The Flash show uh, just came out, which has an excellent cast. I really, really like to look and know Ian and I disagree. But that's, that's been, uh, people said that's pretty good so far. So I'm not sure what the disconnect is. Um, here, creatively, I guess the production teams are totally different. I don't know. But this is what's going on. So you had your super, uh, you know, you had your Superman reboot, uh, Man of Steel, which came out, was that already two years ago? Was that 2012 already? Or no, it was 2013. I think that was last year it came out. So after that, they're like, all right. It did, it did okay. It didn't do fantastic worldwide. It didn't do Avengers business. So, I mean... They're going to now fast track to a Justice League movie. And I think it's dangerous to do something like this. I just think it is. Especially since the first movie, they're not even going to have a second... They're not even going to have a Batman standalone movie. Again, you can't count those three Batman movies that came out. Those are not standalones. The new uh, Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice, coming out in 2016, is going to be basically the Avenger... Excuse me. It's going to be the Justice League build-up movie. Because it's rumored that you're going to have... Aquaman show up and Wonder Woman's uh, is is Gal Gadot. She's going to be there, um, and you, you're going to have Batman. You might have a couple other guys. You might have Cyborg show up, and you're going to have a Flash maybe show up. Who's not going to be the TV show Flash? That's a whole other conversation. Um, so that's going to come out in 2016. Then you're going to have a Suicide Squad movie, which is going to be 2016. Now the Suicide Squad is not a well known entity. At all. 
at all. Now, the Suicide Squad, I believe, and this is from my just knowledge without even looking up, these are, I think this is a, a team that goes after, like, rogue superheroes and supervillains and tries to take them out. Like, non, non-superpowered non people going after, uh, like, superheroes and, and supervillains to keep them in line. That's a cool idea. Really cool idea. In a comic book, I'm not sure people are going to be interested in seeing that as a movie. I don't know if that's going to have the appeal of a Guardians of a Galaxy, which, again, was six years after Marvel started making these movies. So people were like, wow, this is going to be a cool Marvel movie, but in space with this sort of over-the-top humor. I don't know if that's going to work since, again, they haven't built up that cachet yet with these DC movies. Um, And then you're going to have, in 2017, this to me is, 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 is strange, but they're going to do this. They're going to do in May 26, 2017... A Wonder Woman solo film. Uh, excuse me, that's going to be June 23rd. And then later in November, you're going to have Justice League Part 1. So let's 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 just get this straight. So you're going to have Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, which is going to introduce... No, no Superman sequel, because we don't trust Superman to carry his own films now anymore. So you're going to have that movie introduce Wonder Woman, probably Green, a Green Lantern of sorts, a, a Flash... You know, a cyborg guy, as I call him, an Aquaman, and the new Batman. So you're not going to have a new Batman movie with this new Batman, as uh, the Affleck Batman. So we're going to have a Suicide Squad movie uh, in 2016. Then next year, a Wonder Woman movie by herself to lead into the Justice League movie. All right, at least they're trying then uh, to do that. But I would have been a lot more confident, instead of doing a Batman versus Superman movie, you know, why couldn't they have done a Green Lantern movie and a Wonder Woman movie, and a Flash movie, and do elite, just th- even give me three movies, give me three, and just like in Marvel, did, give me three or four, and then throw in maybe a second Superman movie, and then do a Justice League movie. Not do this half-ass Dawn of Justice, uh, Justice League light movie, and then go into it with one movie in between Suicide Squad. No, because Suicide Squad, I don't know if that's going to factor in. That's a strange ass choice. That the more I look at it, I'm not sure it's going to even be produced. So you're going to have Justice League Part 1 in Wonder Woman 2017. And then 2018, you're going to get uh, Aquaman, which I guess will be spun off from the Justice League Part 1. Who knows how Aquaman is going to do? Personally, I don't I, I don't know if the character can carry a whole film. I believe it's going to be Jason Momoa. Uh, there you go. He, he played uh, he just played the, uh, the updated Conan a couple years ago. And then you're going to have the, in 2019, Shazam, which is Captain Marvel... Did they change the name officially? Some comic per- book person tell me they changed the name from Captain Marvel officially to Shazam. Um, starring, they already cast The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, as Black Adam, who's the villain. It's very strange that they would cast a movie not going to come out for five years. So they're not going to produce the movie for four years, but we're already casting the villain. <laughs> way out. You see how strange it is how they're already getting this particular this far out, not feeling their way through it, as Marvel kind of did. And then Justice League Part 2 in 2019. So the Part 1s and Part 2s, will be two years apart, as opposed to Avengers 1 and 2, which are three three years apart. Um, then 2020, you're going to get Cyborg, starring Ray Fisher, so I guess he's, he might show up. And that's uh, also a reboot of Green Lantern, all the way in 2020. Ryan Reynolds, thanks for playing. So when Marvel, uh, back in like 2006, when Marvel first came out with their idea of Marvel Studios, or decided, you know what, we had these characters, why farm them out to everyone? Let's make the movies ourselves. We know the characters will make the most money. We just got to put together a studio. 
they didn't have that that much set in stone. I remember seeing a poster with like all these release dates, and the only one that actually I think came to fruition was like Iron Man was like 2007 or 2008 was like Iron Man. Then there was like a Punisher movie in there, and that came out as Warzone, which was critically panned. Which is why you haven't seen Punisher again. He might show up for that probably the Daredevil Netflix series. Um, and then, and then you had like Incredible Hulk was on there. You had Iron Fist on there, which which obviously never happened. I think you had Doctor Strange on there, and then you had I think in Avengers, kind of off in the future, but they weren't sure when. But it was very vague, and they didn't stick with it, and they sure as hell didn't start casting movies that were four years out, or you know before establishing it in baby steps again. Uh, this may come up as a mini ramp, but I don't care. I just, I just, I this. They have to make me a believer first here. Uh, Warner Brothers with this plan. They have to make me a believer because th- the problem here is that by having a crossover film really first in the line of like these like uh, what is this like seven or eight films that they have lined up here seven superhero films um, by doing it first the risk is much higher versus you see when you, when you have like these little Iron Man which was critically a success and then you have Thor, which was successful, and Captain America, but not as much, but still successful, the risk is smaller because you're, you're, if one of those individual ones fail, it's like, okay, that one fa- that one character, yeah, maybe the fans don't like him as much as Iron Man, uh, Thor, but, you know, he's still part of it, and we'll still feature him in the uh, Avengers team-up. And then you have an Iron Man 2 in there, which didn't do, you know, I, at least critically as well, and I didn't like it, but it's okay, it's on the way. Here, the crossover's first, and you're introducing all these characters together, so if this doesn't do well, if people will hate Affleck as Batman or just don't get this concept of Gal Gadot and Jason Momoa there and then having this new Green Lantern and then Cyborg Guy and Flash, if they don't get the idea right away, you're screwed. You can't go reverse. You can't go from a team-up movie where you're introducing everyone and then all of a sudden, if we don't glom on or like those portrayals or characters, you can't go from uh, a Cyborg uh, character in a movie, like who the hell cares to a cyborg movie? It's not going to work like that. The audience will be gone or not interested by that point. You have to do it in the reverse direction to make it work, which Marvel Studios has shown that's the way to go. So I'm not going to harp on it that much longer. I just disagree with this sort of sort of way. I would have just done the the same slow burn. Have an Aquaman. If you want to do an Aquaman movie, fine, do it. Do Wonder Woman reboot Green Lantern for God's sake do it it's already been like four or five years since the what the last one has it been four years about was that 2010 um, do three or four individual films do a Batman individual film let the audience know who this Batman is in terms of the tone and then and these are going to be totally different in terms of tone than than the Christopher Nolan films do that separate Batman film do them separately do four or five hell come out two or three years I don't care come out like two in 2000 uh, and, and 15, 3 in 2017, and then do your Justice League movie in 2018 without rushing it with the with the Batman vs. Superman crossover to try to build up to it, and then even getting then to the Justice League part part 1 before even establishing all these other characters. So maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe, maybe I'll be proven wrong. But uh, yeah, that's it. I mean, seriously, a Suicide Squad movie and a Cyborg movie. All right. It's time now on this shortened CU podcast for the Q&A. Oh, no, we're not done yet. We're going to talk about... uh, They announced that there's going to be a Ghostbusters reboot. Uh, Columbia Pictures is going to be doing it again. 
Director's going to be Paul Feige. Feige? Feige. Screenwriter's going to be uh, Katie Dippold with Paul Feige. And the internet acted with this announcement like the world was coming to an end because it's going to be uh, Ghostbusters, I guess, 3 or a reboot. It's going to be an all-woman, all-female Ghostbusters cast. So a lot of people, those diehard Ghostbusters fans, and you know who you are, you know the ones that still have the jumpsuits and you have the toys, they were up in arms about this announcement. And they acted like, well, you just ruined my childhood about it. My thoughts on an all-female Ghostbusters movie. Um, since it's a re- reboot, or even since it's not a reboot, the essence of the Ghostbusters isn't that they're men or women to me. That's not really what it is. It's that they are four funny weirdos that come together to fight ghosts. It's a really awesome concept. When you go back to see how this was originally made, you know, when it was made, you had four comedians on the top of their game in their prime. At least three in Ernie Hudson. Ernie Hudson is... uh, you know, he's sort of like the outcast. He's a black sheep of the Ghostbusters family. Well, he's black, but you know what I'm saying. Um, you had Dan Aykroyd. You had Bill Murray, who were both really funny people. Had starred in their own funny movies before Ghostbusters. Both uh, uh, alums of Saturday Night Live. And you had uh, Harold Ramis, extremely funny. Worked with Bill Murray before on Stripes. Um, and, and helped write funny some of the funniest movies ever, like National... Lampoon's Animal House and uh, Caddyshack. Um, this was your team. Like these are th- this would be I, you can't you don't even have an equivalent of the of the caliber of these three guys working together today because it doesn't happen because they don't exist. You can say all like, oh, the Judd Apatow guys maybe, but no no no. They're, they're, it's not the same league. It's not it's not like three extremely funny guys who were part of the funniest iteration of Saturday Night Live, the original one. So these guys were funny writers, funny improv. Funny, you know, they weren't the only thing they, the only thing they weren't these three were they weren't stand up comedians. So, to me, if you're gonna get pissed about something, it's not the fact that these are gonna be it's gonna be an all female Ghostbusters team, get pissed about who potentially is going to be involved with this because I don't think there's um the caliber out there, male or female, that could match what Aykroyd, Ramis and Bill Murray could do together as a team. I don't I don't think they can find someone. You know, you're going to get uh, Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig together, and you think that's going to be magical? And I don't know, you get uh, uh, Maya Rudolph in there, you get Sarah Silverman as one of them, you know, as one of the team. I just don't see it, I just, especially since... They're not going to be the ones writing it. They're going to have other writers writing for themselves. Ramis and Murray and Ackward were writing it for themselves uh, to do, basically. And that's a lot different. They had that sensibility. I that's where you should be. Don't be angry. Don't be angry that it's all female. Be angry that the production team and the quality of the writing and the quality of the comedic performances won't be anywhere near the uh, original uh, guys. Uh, be upset about the writer. of This also wrote the movie The Heat. The Sandra Bullock, um, Melissa McCarthy vehicle that came out last year, where they're both cops. You know, she's the, you know, up uptight, straight laced female cop. She's the, you know, large, 
crazy cop and they go together and like peanut butter and water. <laughs> I was trying to get peanut butter or something else that wasn't jelly. Then I figured I realized it was oil and water. Anyway, so that's where you should be upset about. Go back and watch some of what the work they've done. Now, to his credit, the director, Paul uh, Feige, if I'm saying it right, he did do Bridesmaids. He did direct it, and I believe he wrote it. Or at least partially wrote it. That's a funny movie. That's a really funny movie. That's a m- funny movie, regardless if you're a man or a woman, you can watch it, and it's an all-female movie, that if they if they go for that sort of tone with this uh, updated Ghostbusters, it'll be fine but I don't think, again, it won't have that sort of magic that the original had. And I'm not even talking about the second movie, because the second movie was mostly garbage. Ghostbusters uh, 2 um, was a rehash, and it was no energy to it, the last time I saw it, at least. Very little action, and it, it's just it was just like, it was the definition of a bad sequel. It was just more the same. Uh, it was just like a retread. No major character development between the first and second movies. And it's just like, oh, it's a chance to see the same movie again with the same actors. That's the worst sequel possible. When it's t- and that's why I don't like Iron Man 2. Because it was basically more of the same. Um, without even trying to go in a different direction. So again, that's where you should be upset about. It, it, the, the fact that it's all, an all-female Ghostbusters team, who cares? I'm more upset, if anything, that... They're rebooting it versus having it in the same universe, which means that if you see uh, Aykroyd or Ernie Hudson or Bill Murray show up, they'll be as the the random guy in the street versus being doctors, you know, Doctor Venkman showing up again and having even a, a funny cameo. What if he was working at the university still? He's much older, but he can give advice. What if one of the new Ghostbusters was his daughter? That could have been a cool idea. Why not? Or or uh, or a niece, you know what I mean? Something like that to bridge the audience gap. Because I think, whether you like it or not, the fact that there aren't going to be men in the cast is going to piss off some uh, audience members, for better or for worse. Well, we won't get get into it, whether it's sexist or not, whether or not it's just not following the spirit or tone of the original. There's going to be a chunk of the audience that will not see this movie by default. Now, from a uh, from a marketing standpoint, that's not good. So I think the smart thing would be was to forget about reboot, just have it be the same universe, so that there is at least some connection, some connection to the uh, original. I don't care if, if if Ernie Hudson shows up with Ackroyd for six minutes, or you know, Bill Bill Murray has like two short scenes at the beginning and the end. I don't care. Just do something to bridge that gap. Uh, otherwise, you are gonna, I think, piss off people for that long. That to me, that to me is the most, is the most damning thing about this Ghostbusters reboot. Not the all female thing. Honestly, who cares? If it's well written, it, it'll be good. It, it's that lack of a bridge. Now, the one danger, though, I think one of the reasons there was such a bad reaction to this is because there was, um, there's, they did. I think when people think of all female, they think of it as maybe pandering to female, I guess, sensibilities are pandering maybe towards what a female or, or a woman would find funny, I guess. I could see it taking that point of view. But again, um, good comedy, you can write... Good comedy should be able to be appreciated and it should be able to be conveyed by both men and women. Um, good comedy. So again, Bridesmaids, really fucking funny movie. Really well written. 
And again, it's it's an all female cast. No man should have a problem or be ashamed of watching Bridesmaids. Name of the movie aside, or or whatever, whatever. It's it's Bridesmaids. It's a funny, funny movie. I think people are afraid that pandering comedy is what they would get in a Ghostbusters three. But again, I don't see that happening, especially since it's the team that helped make Bridesmaids. So at least that would make it, I think, to me at least watchable. But again, and maybe I'm going to stop here because I keep going in a circle. I don't think this will have the magic of, of the original. I don't think anyone expected it to since it's hard with the reboot anyway. I'm not a big reboot guy. I don't think 95% of them are necessary. They're trying to reboot Highlander. I don't think that's going to be... I don't think that's going to work. I'd rather see a new Highlander or a moral TV show. There you have it. Ghostbusters 3. Don't get upset about it. Wait wait for a trailer at least, but don't get your hopes up either. It'll, it'll probably be okay. Yeah. It's Q&A time on the solo podcast on this short completely unnecessary podcast. So, our first question is from at just cheaply, eh? Could you talk about your old collection of Star Wars toys? What happened to it? What stuff did you have? Well, <laughs> I collected vintage Star Wars toys in my teens. I want to say I started about 14 or 13 and went probably till all throughout high school. Maybe until early college I stopped. So we're talking the 70s and you know 80s toys uh, in little figures. Uh, I used to go to uh, flea markets. You'd find some of them, even by even by the you know early 90s, even maybe mid 90s. There was a lot of Star Wars toy collectors. It was one of those weird things with uh, with Star Wars more more particular than even even Transformers or GI Joes at that point. Star Wars always had a much bigger appeal. Uh, and pop culture than G.I. Jones and and and, uh, and Transformers. So Star Wars were always, people had them and always loved them, even in the early 90s when I started looking at it. Even though in the late 80s, you could still go to Odd Lot or Odd Job stores where they have all the old new old stock, and there was a, literally a wall of 99-cent and cheaper Star Wars toys. It's walls of them. They're not hard to find at all Star Wars toys. But you, you thought there was... I mean, in the early 90s, before really the internet, where you found these toys were you would go into, like, Barnes Noble and find the uh, the, the big toy trader magazine, like, it was a newspaper. You flip through it, and you see advertisements for toy shows. You can go to toy shows and get them. Or, or you can order them from, the, you'd call up and order, they'd have the prices in these ads, and in in those, it was, like, it was, I think it was called like the Toy Shop Magazine, but it was a big newspaper. I remember my dad buying it. So my dad was into like the little toy soldiers, like the Marks figures and the little guys from like the 50s and 60s. So that was your option. You could order from there. If you were in an area fortunate enough to have a toy show, and there was a great one in Totowa, New Jersey, that they had, I think, like once every, I want to say once every couple months, I bought a lot of good stuff there. And yes, you could find flea markets and get them, but that was few and far between with me. I, I never found like a great, like, oh my god, look at this stash. Or thrift stores. I remember going to some thrift or junky stores and finding, for example, I remember finding a uh, a Wampa, the Empire Strikes Back, Empire Strikes Back's Wampa figure, just a box for it, though. And my dad one time found a store where the one store had um, not complete in box, mostly complete in box, Death Star Space Station and a Max Rebo band in the package still, which he didn't get for me which annoyed me because I always wanted it. And I'm letting Falcon, that was mostly complete. And these were cheap. It was like, I don't know, 10, 20 bucks each for these things. And that was a good price back then because the prices of these toys uh, in the early 90s versus now, I think are actually worth more 
when you account for inflation, like getting these uh, figures on, on the, the card backs, they were like $400 in the early 90s. That's like a grand today almost, you know, or at least 800 That's a lot of money. But, um, yeah, I had, uh, I had about 20 to 25 uh, vehicles in the, in the box. I, I love the place. That's more. I had the, the Death Star spa- uh, playset, which is fantastic. I should have kept that. Looking back, that was such a cool looking. It was like a huge, like four foot box, um, at least three and a half. I exaggerated, maybe because I was smaller. Um, I had that. I had like the Java Dungeon and the Robot Factory and the Cantina uh, playset. And uh, I, I had my X Wing when I was a kid. I had the Tie Fighter. I had the uh, Darth Vader Tie Fighter, which is really cool. I think the basis of the. Uh, Tie Fighter Advance. If you're familiar, familiar with the, the PC games, uh, a bunch of others. I've top of my head. I can't even. I had a Snow Speeder. I know. I had most of the good, like really, like the ones, the Millennium Falcon, the ones that when you think of Star Wars, that's what you think of. And they all came from the fact that I had this Darth Vader case I found at a swap meet or a flea market in Connecticut back when I was really small, like probably like nine or ten, and I kept that. And eventually, started getting figures. I had about a hundred figures at the end of my collecting days. Um. 100 figures, probably 90 or 80 to 90 of those are probably complete. I used to pick up bags of... Uh, sometimes you go to these flea markets you f- or toy shows, you find, like, weapons you can buy individually or bags of weapons. I would just buy them when I saw them and then, you know, fill in the gaps or buy them. Uh, even on eBay, you can buy them in the late 90s. Um, so I had a bunch of complete figures, and I had only a few figures in the package. I had, like, Boba Fett Return of the Jedi, um, the Sarlacc scene on the package, and I had a Princess Leia 12-back with a 20-back sticker on it. So when I bought it, someone thought it was a 20-back one. No, it was a 12-back. Now, the, now the backs means is how many figures are featured in the back. 12-back means that's the original figure uh, line from 78. There was only 12 figures. It showed 12 figures in the back. So they're worth the most money because they're the earliest and hardest to find. And then the 20-back was the 1979 release. And I know I just got some toy cred with some of the Star Wars collectors out there by even knowing that. Then I had a Luke Skywalker 12-back, uh, except the bubble was slit on the side. So, So what happened to all these? Um, I sold all it when I moved out of my uh, parents' place because I didn't want to bring it with me. I was sort of over Star Wars, thanks in part to the awful prequels. Awful. If you think the third one is average, I think the, which I think Revenge of the Sith is average. The other two are terrible, and, I, and that sort of soured me on the experience. Unfortunately, I was one of those guys. Yeah, didn't didn't ruin my childhood, uh, but it, it didn't make it feel any better either. So that's what happened to it. Um, next question from at Captain Pacifico. Cap Pacifico. What inspired you to start making videos? How did this path take you to San Diego? Well, I've spoken about it in interviews before, and um, I just, I, I always loved film. I did film in college. I taught myself some technique. I wrote some stuff. I always liked writing. I always loved video games. I was always collecting video games from the late night. I think I started collecting 98 or 99. Let's just say 99 officially. I started to get back into it for sure. Um, and I figured why not put them all together and, and yes, seeing the internet, seeing people review stuff very badly and f- realizing I could do at least a little bit better. And, and that's how it happened. And, and yeah, you have guys like James Rolfe that did angry video game nerd. I remember watching those for the first time in like late 2006, early 2007. And, and eventually I was like, well, why don't I just put this knowledge of video games together with, with my limited knowledge of film. I had a camcorder. And uh, let's go and see what happens. Let's poorly light these first couple years of episodes, and how about it? 
Now, how did this take me to San Diego? San Diego, me moving to San Diego had nothing to do with me doing videos. It, it just was something I felt felt right to move from New Jersey, and there was nothing holding me back. And I I, I kept my day job and moved out here and worked uh, and did the videos while I did that. And I don't regret it. I love San Diego. So that was my path here, and my life's improved since I moved out here. I love it. Fish tacos are great. This is from at Niemla Karen, who is also a contributor to the Patreon, the Patreon. Thank you very much. Tell us about the internet personality biz. Do people in real life get it? Will your new plaque help? And she's referring to the, the 100,000 subscriber plaque that YouTube sent me. Um, I think people, if they don't understand it, they respect it. So a guy like Frank who has trouble grasping stuff that's to do with technology and internet, he's like, he's like, I don't know what you're really doing, but you basically created your own job, and that's cool. And other people think it's cool, too. You, you can explain to them about ad revenue and producing content and conventions. Then they, they, it sort of clicks with them what it is. But this is, again, this is a new media. This is like, this is new. This is less than 10 years old, really, doing this. YouTube has only been around since 2005. Even if you did videos before that, there, w- there wasn't a centralized location to get almost all the videos you could uh, before that. Um, so and then once you, once, you, once you let people know you can actually make a living off something, that automatically gets more respect than just, oh, it's just something I do for fun or it's a hobby. Yes, this is fun, um, but I can't call it a hobby anymore since I do it full time. It's not what it is anymore. It's what I do professionally. Uh, now, so, you know, when you, when you tell, you, you know, when you, when you go on a date and you tell the girl or guy across from you, I make internet videos for a living. The fact that it's different and not, not a lot of people do it. And the fact that you are sort of in that small percentile that can make somewhat of a living off it. I think that automatically gets some sort of respect right there. This is from at Konacha 37. Pat, how often do you really find great deals at the flea markets, such as the Turbo Graphics, or is it just great editing? Yes, I have a big CG budget with Wii to digital, and they just CG in all the all the uh, consoles I find. Uh, no, um, there are weeks that where I film, I find nothing. And that has happened in one episode, where I filmed the whole episode and found, like, literally next to nothing. I want to say that was volume, like, volume 15 or 16 or so, something like that, 14, where I didn't find anything. But most of the time, it's hit or miss at the swap meet, but for some reason I've had this weird knack, at least in the past times, in the past years, that I always picked a good day to film. I'm like, you know what? I have a good feeling this is going to be a good day. And it would be like almost like self-fulfilling prophecy that would that be a good day. Now, here's the other caveat, though. I'm so far behind editing these. What Flea Market Madness 21 just came out. I shot that in, two. I think it was late 2012 or early 2013. I'm like a year and a half, two years behind. So the reflection of what you see for the good deals no longer is a, no longer exists. I say even the past even year and a half. I say even since early 2013, the mood has changed at my local flea market where it's a lot more resellers and a lot more harder to find stuff. And again, before that, it was probably 2000 and you know basically every two years I'd say uh, 2000 and like I don't know 2012. So the first few years I was here, it was pretty good, and then it got okay, and then the last year and a half, uh, two years, it's been, ugh, it's harder and harder. So I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm not sure if I'll get to the point where I'll have to start filming two days and editing them together. I, I've done that a couple times, but most of the time, what you see in Flip Art Man is, is one day of experience. With some exceptions, I'd say 75-80% of it is one single day, and so it's not just great editing. I've had great days, but I've also had bad days, and eventually... 
the bad days will way outweigh the good days, and that's when I'll quit going to the flea market. At Will Dogma, Pat, what are your thoughts on the recent resurgence of the NES deck code action figures and such? I believe he's probably referring to the like the NECA figures, like the um, the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street one and the Friday Thirteenth that are modeled after how they look in the NES games. And then they came out with like three and three quarter inch uh, figures too of like uh, Jason Voorhees and Freddy Krueger that also mirror uh, them. And then NECA's also done a Rambo figure, and they've done um, I think they did a Predator one or planning it, and then they did a um, I think they did a, another one, a RoboCop one. They're pumping them out now, a little too quick for my. Uh, for my taste, they're doing them like two or three, a, three a year. It seems like. Um, I think it's only natural that you cross over into toys since that's retro as well. Why not put them out? Since people are interested in, it, and, and, and there aren't a lot of uh, video game uh, figures that come out in general. I don't think there's not a lot of like Nintendo figures that come out. They do have some of the little guys, but action figures, not really. Um, I remember they had in the, in the '90s. I think they had like I think they had figures that came out with like Ocarina of Time and things like that. Uh, early 2000s. But why not? Why you know what? They should put out action figures of of maybe games you never heard of. But why why couldn't Nintendo put out little action figures, you know, of I don't know, uh Danny Sullivan? That would be nice. No, but, but seriously though, there's a lot of cool properties out there where I think people would buy a Battletoads figure. I think people would buy a Bionic Commando figure if it if it came out. People would buy I mean I'm talking like retro style like three and three quarter figures or even like, you know, the five inch figures from like the nineties, like the X-Men figures, you know, uh, I just think that the rights probably, it's probably a, a rights issue and it probably costs more than, than it's worth it to go get like the, I don't know, uh, the rights to panic restaurant to come out with a cookie figure, for example. It's just, it just doesn't make any sense, uh, to do that. So, huh, cookie figure, huh? Yeah, why not? But uh, we'll see. I, I think I think you'll see more toys, and you'll see more companies getting into it. And then, yeah, maybe you'll see, I don't know, you'll see a Mylon Secret Castle figure. Maybe maybe you'll have Konami come out with a, a bunch of, of, of old-school little figures. There's money to be made. It's just, I guess, how much? What's the margin in order to make it work and make it viable? Um... This is from at Legit Jordan. Could you please go over the current state of video game journalism? It has been hard to find real grounded info. Um, unfortunately, that's almost all journalism nowadays, especially online media. Uh, with the current upheaval, you can call it, within the video game community, with hashtag wars back and forth and skewed biased coverage from other, from different websites and, and agendas being pushed. I, I, I am, I'm remiss to say it, but that's a reflection of our society and, and what the media has become in general, where you do have uh, sociological, you do have political agendas within uh, journalistic media, websites, newspapers to a degree. Um, and that to me, unfortunately, that's not what the media's role is. That's not what journalism is. Journalism is supposed to go out, report the facts, find the facts and report them in the most unbiased way you can. Now you could, Now, you can go decide on what to report based upon a bias, and that's what's called editorial, uh, I guess, bias, is, you know, running stories that might, you know, be skewed towards your audience. But that doesn't mean the reporting itself can be biased or skewed. That's two entirely different things. You can decide, okay, we're going to run, we're going to run stuff on this issue A. That's fine. 
if you think reporting on that issue A will influence your readers in some way, but then while you go and research issue A and write it, you then skew it totally out of balance and, and misrepresent it. That's not journalism anymore. That's propaganda. And the bad thing about seeing this happen with games, one side or the other, um, is that the same thing happens with the more important issues like politics and uh, social cultural issues and where it's always one side versus the other it becomes this weird culture war even in the articles themselves not just you know not just um not just the, the skewing of the website or magazine or newspaper you're reading you're seeing it inside the articles and at that point it's not a news item anymore it's an editorial piece and unfortunately again that's what the majority of reporting has become has been glorified editorials masquerading as news when they are not news. Now, how do we get away from that? Whether it's uh, gaming or anything else. I always said that we need a Consumer Reports for games. Now, Consumer Reports is a a very heralded consumer advocacy magazine where they, they take and accept no advertising dollars. It is not funded by advertising dollars. It's funded by the subscriptions, and it could be a subsidy somewhere. But the point is, is that no ads appear in it. So what you get then is you get unbridled, totally objective reviews of cars and vacuum cleaners, and you know anything a consumer consumer want to buy dishwasher, with the expectation that since there was no money taken, what you're getting out is no fear of reprisal for saying something's good or bad or neutral. And that's why people always went to Consumer Reports to trust that. Can that happen with games? I don't know. Just because so many gaming websites rely, and this is where I wish Ian was here because he'd have better examples than me, they rely on ad revenue, and then there has been reprisals uh, of game companies and publishers being upset about websites uh, not giving a good enough review for uh, the game that they gave them early to you know to play through, so they can then say, "Well, screw you, you know, screw you, IGN. IGN, you didn't give a good review to Call of Duty Forty Five. I mean, you're not going to get an early copy of Call of Duty Forty Six. So then you're going to suffer because all, all these other websites that did give us a good review, they're going to get it early. They're going to get all those viewers that are not going to come to your site because they're going to go to those. So it becomes a sort of shitty um, homeostasis." Of we all have to sell out, or else we're gonna lose. You know what I mean? Like, no. If the the one person, the one website that would take an ethical stance would be the one that would lose horribly. You would never see them again because of that. And that's where you're at with video game quote unquote journalism. I I really put that in quotes because uh, again, journalism is impartial reporting. I cannot stress that enough. It's impartial reporting. And it's letting the person reading, gathering all the facts together, displaying all the facts, and even and even what the subjective view of those facts could be to those different groups, and letting them decide, and then letting them decide where they fall on any side of any spectrum and on the news. That, to me, is what journalism is, and that's where uh, game journalism is heading the opposite of or as Ian would probably say, it's been a joke forever. It's going to continue to be a joke, which is fine. But that to me is just that to me is just sadness, 
uh, letting you know that when you go to a, a website like Kotaku, which is, is basically like a, a rag anyway, it's yellow journalism, it's just clickbait articles and then entertainment. These are entertainment websites. They're video game entertainment sites. They're not journalism. So, which is sad again because then that means you cannot take their their news seriously or their opinion seriously. And why would you, honestly? 90% of it. Um, and this is from at F1 Midboss. Pat, do you feel disc games need to be complete in box to be worth collecting? I know most NES, SNS collectors don't care too much about complete in box. No, because video games like these look nice on the shelf and they display very nicely. Um, Super Nintendo games to play, display very nicely. Even even Sega Master System games you can display very nicely. You can kind of see easily what they are. Disc games you can't really do that. They don't really. You can't really just put them in a pile uh, and protect them right. I mean, you can put them in a case, but you really need a PlayStation case for a PS One game. You really need a, a an Xbox DVD style case, Amore case for an Xbox game. It's just that's just the way it works, unfortunately. And so the good news is, though, is that I'd say way more than likely, though, the cases for, like, Saturn and Sega CD, PlayStation games and Xbox games, those cases get preserved a hell of a lot more than NES, Super Nintendo, and N64 um, boxes do. How how often do you see Atari 2600 boxes versus seeing a ton of the games? You rarely come across the boxes. You don't come across the boxes for NES games. I'd say even... 10% 10% of the time versus when you find all the uh, loose games. So it's a blessing and a curse. But, um, yeah, that, I guess that's why it's a stigma. It just doesn't look as, as well. It doesn't, doesn't look right. But if you want a game to play, it's a lot cheaper sometimes finding, I don't know, Final Fight Sega CD is probably, I don't know, a third of the cost of finding complete, you know, for example. So go have a ball, you know, Go to your local swap meet, find that CD, giant CD bookcase, and look through to see if there's some cool games there you can play. Because you might be able to give them for like a dollar each, two dollars each. And they're the same game, they just don't really fit or look nice on a shelf. There you go. That is my short, single, solo podcast, CU podcast, without Ian Ferguson. I had fun. I hope you did too. Now, there is a podcast Patreon you could check out. Uh, it's not easily remembered, but it's set up by my buddy Ian, and it's patreon.com slash pixelsickle, like an icicle with a PXL in front. And I also have a Patreon, my own Patreon, and it's patreon.com slash patcountry. You don't have to choose and fight, but you can give to both if you'd like. Or none, it's up to you. So we'll be, we'll be back in a week with Ian, he'll be back, and uh, we'll have our last podcast before the 5th Annual NES Marathon. Oh boy, that's going to be fun. And also be on the lookout for my special uh, interview with Brent Black, a.k.a. Breno Floss, basically inside uh, the YouTube studio. And so we'll have like, an hour conversation about the YouTube world, like where it's come from, where it's going, how to, how to work on videos, the give and take, collaborations. And so that'll be a separate episode up on iTunes as well. And so with that, I am Pat Contry. Looking across from a huge, plush uh, Super Mario. No, Ian. He's on his little vacation slash honeymoon. But we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Hopefully you didn't hate me too much by myself. Bye!